0: and let's turn to hymn number 355 for friend we have in Christ Six when we all get together.
1: cried out to crucify. They nailed him to a rugged cross and left him there to die. They gambled for the Oh! Uh-huh. changeless one, their lies cannot disprove the existence of God's Son, though some may be content to just sit by.
2: You would take your Bibles, turn to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, the teens are going to leave. Um, I would ask that you pray for a friend of mine named uh, Brother Hall. He's from church in Topeka. And um, he's from a situation of, uh, um, where his wife had died. He remarried. And uh, they, their, uh, they had a daughter and a son, and I think that's the situation, and uh, the daughter ended up divorced, had some kids, and so they kind of took the kids in to raise them, and uh, so um, they went to youth camp with my grandchildren, and uh, back and forth, grandma and grandpa, always trying to encourage them, keeping them in the house of God, keeping them involved in the things of God, and uh, all that kind of stuff, and you know, that worked for a while, but then um, they got older, and um, mom's kind of a, uh, an alcoholic type thing, and so um, ended up, um, you know, how split families are. Uh, anyhow, uh, the kids got out of church, and um, his 17-year-old grandson was gunned down last Tuesday walking to a drug deal uh, to sell some drugs. Um, And so if you would, just pray for my friend. Uh, They still haven't released the body yet, and they've got to go through all that, and then a service and everything. And uh, so if you would, uh, just pray for them. It's just been a real shocker. Uh, You know, you'd hope that would never happen to anybody, let alone someone you know, a tragic event like that. And so if you would, pray for him. Then uh, be praying for the Beavers. Brother Beavers' dad's funeral is uh, Monday. And uh, so visitation on Sunday uh, down in the Tulsa area, then funeral on Monday, so I know they would appreciate your prayers um, for that. Ezekiel chapter four. Ezekiel chapter four. I uh, hope you've been doing a little bit of study on your own, because uh, definitely am not giving you everything that is here. I, as a matter of fact, I think I could give you everything that I could find here in the, the year or more that it would take to do that, and still miss a lot, okay? So it does involve uh, private study, and uh, hopefully you're doing that. But today, tonight we're going to look at uh, Ezekiel 4 through 7. I want to begin by reading verse number 1 of chapter 4. Thou also, son of man, take thee a tile and lay it before thee, and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. Boy, Jerusalem's in the news today, isn't it? Well, I tell you. And lay siege against it, and build a fort against it, and cast a mount against it, set the camp also against it, and set battering rams against it round about. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness and your love to us. We do pray for uh, the war that's going on uh, tonight there in Israel. And Lord, um, we know that you love your people, and uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would just lead and guide, give them wisdom, Uh, beyond themselves to know what to do. And Lord, I know that your will would be done there. And so we pray that you'd be glorified uh, through it. we pray for uh, them to have wisdom and peace. And Lord, that they might be able to find all those who have been involved in this horrible, horrible act. And Lord, uh, that they would come to judgment. We thank you for our time together tonight here in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, Lord, pray that you would enlighten our understanding, give us insight into your word. And then, Lord, for all the suffering uh, people that are out there in the world tonight, Lord, we pray that you would be with them. I pray for my dear friend there in Topeka and the loss of his grandson and all that uh, is going on there. Lord, I just pray that somehow you would get the glory through it. I thank you for grandparents that care enough to invest in their grandchildren as much as possible that they might be able to come to the saving knowledge of christ and uh, lord i pray that uh, each and every one of us would look for those opportunities to make an impact uh, in the lives around us thank you for this time together tonight we love you we ask these things in your blessed name amen <clears throat> so ezekiel emplo- employs uh, both visual aids and sermons to describe the tragic spiritual decline among the people of Israel. So God uh, goes to Ezekiel and say, Look, I, I want you to do more than just preach. I want you, I'm going to give you some uh, visual identifications that people can look at, they can identify with. And uh, so I want you to be able to use visual aids and sermons uh, to be able to describe what's going to happen uh, to my nation, Israel. Now, chapters 4 through 24 cover the period of Ezekiel's call to the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem. And uh, his theme is the impending judgment and destruction of the city and the sanctuary. I couldn't help but think to myself, as I was preparing and studying and thinking about how many times the nation of Israel was punished for turning their back on God. I mean, you you read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll find that the nation of Israel, they're doing great, they're walking with God. Next thing you know, uh, we get a hundred years down the road, they forgot about God. Verses like, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, uh, appear, and all of a sudden we find the nation of Israel uh, walking away from God and following the gods of this world, and then God would chastise them. And uh, here we're going to see that uh, the nation of Israel is going to be chastised for 390 years. And uh, God's working, trying to bring them back, trying to bring them back, trying to bring them back. And the whole time uh, he does that through bringing judgment upon them. And so as we think about that, we have to be mindful of this, that our God is a righteous judge. And that he will judge sin. He is the judge, okay, I would like to do that for him sometimes. Yeah, God, let me be judge. You take the day off. Let me kind of write some of the things that I think is important. But I'm glad that God doesn't operate that way. I'm glad not only is He a righteous judge, but more importantly, I'm glad that He's a long suffering God who loves us and cares for us. I don't know about you. I didn't get saved the first time I heard about salvation. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if we only got one shot? I mean, probably most of us wouldn't be saved in here tonight. But he was long-suffering, and over and over and over I heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that if I would confess my sins and ask him to come to my heart, he would save me from my sins. And over and over I heard that till I finally acted upon it. I'm so thankful for the long-suffering of God. And we see throughout the Old Testament... Uh, Acts where God judges his nation. And then we're reminded as we read through the scripture that there's going to be another judgment to come. The great white throne judgment. And uh, we will all be there that day. We will watch the small and the great stand before God and give an account. And we'll find friends and neighbors and relatives will stand before God who never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And somehow I think that they're going to be zeroed in on us as to why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about this? Why, why didn't you think it important enough to share with me that I might be saved and not be standing here today? And so we're going to see four symbolic acts uh, in chapter 4, verse number 1 through five, uh, chapter 5, verse number 4. They portray the desolation then direct prophetic discourse uh, is employed in chapter 7. So Ezekiel is charged to use object lessons to convey God's message to his people, the symbolic acts depicting the stringencies of the siege of the capital city and the exile that will follow. And so uh, these are not to be wasted. They weren't wasted upon the nation at that time. Uh, It's just the way God chose to try to get their attention. So, the first symbols presented by Ezekiel, okay, that's chapter 4 through chapter 6. The first illustrations found in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We see the symbol is found in verses 1 through 2. He draws a picture of Jerusalem upon a clay tablet and then places an iron plate next to it. So, he tells him, Get Get, a, get a, a plate here, and uh, more than likely it was clay, and he would take then and draw a picture of Jerusalem on that clay tablet, and he's going to place an iron plate next to it. And the significance found in verse number 3 is that the Babylonian army, like an iron wall, will soon surround Jerusalem. They were soon going to be hit with the fact that there was no way out that God was going to bring judgment, and there was no way out. It's kind of like a picture to me of the fact that judgment is coming for those who have never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that day there's no way out. Until that day, they have an opportunity to get saved. At that day, they'll no longer have that opportunity. The second illustration we see is in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4. The symbol is found in verse 5 through 6. He is to lie on his left side for 390 days. That's in verse number 5. And this is for the years of Israel's sin. Now time out here for a minute. 390 days to lay on your left side? Uh, No. Some scholars that I've read after said that there was a time frame that he would go out maybe from uh, nine in the morning till one in the afternoon. Some said it might be from like one o'clock to five o'clock. He would go out, lay on his left side. That tends to make a little more sense to me than him laying there the whole time on the left side. I can't imagine the, the discomfort and all that would happen uh, otherwise. But it was a symbol and people saw it and people recognized. And so for 390 days, um, that's over a year. 390 days, day after day after day. If it was raining, he went out and he laid on his side. If it was sun shining, he went out and laid on his side. For 390 days. This is, this, these days are to represent years. And so 390 years, God is going to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their sin. Now, if that's not enough, we find in verse number 6, he is then to lie on his right side, For 40 days, this represents the years of Judah's sin. You'll remember uh, the nation of Israel is divided in two. So there's Israel and there's Judah. And 390 days, Israel's judgment is uh, called on the left side, 390 days. And Judah's will be represented by 40 days on the right side. The significant of each day represents one year punishment for Israel and Judah. And so well over 430 days, he went out and he laid on his left side or his right side as an illustration of the judgment to come. The third illustration is found in verses 7 through 8. The symbol is this. He's to lie on his back with his arms tied. Uh, I don't know about you. My sleep habits are I start on my left side, And then partway through the night, I end up on my back. And usually I wake up with a backache, so then it's go right or go left. If I go right, then that means that's mama's side. And so i got to be careful not to blow on her, because that will wake her up. So usually I go back to my left side. I'm sure we all have our own sleeping decorums that probably most people don't care about. But that's what I thought of. I mean, now now what? I just laid on my left side. I just laid on my right side. Now i got to lay on my back and his arms tied. The significance in verse 8 is this depicts the helplessness of Jerusalem against the Babylonian attack. What a great picture, too. When you're laying on your back, it's just like, you know, I hope no one comes in to rob the house because this is going to be difficult. I'm going to have to roll, try to get up, be defensive. I mean, it's just a little more difficult. So... That's the third illustration. The fourth illustration is found in verses 9 through 17. The symbol is found in verses 9 through 15. He is to prepare a meager meal and cook it over some dried cow dung. Does that sound appetizing? Want to try that? I don't really want to try that. The significance found in verses 16 and 17. This is a warning that the people of Israel will be forced to eat defiled food among the nations where God will drive them. And so it's interesting to me then, I automatically thought of Daniel, because remember when we started this, we referenced the fact that Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are all contemporaries. And Daniel goes off, and uh, he's in Babylon. While he's in Babylon, he'll not eat the king's meat. He'll not defile himself. So it's kind of interesting that the majority of people, though, are going to defile themselves. The majority of people are going to have to endure this. Uh, And so that was the illustration that was given. The fifth illustration is found in chapter 5, 1 through 17. Fifth illustration, chapter 5, 1 through 17. Uh, The symbols in 1 through 4, he is to shave both his head and his beard and is to place the hair into three equal parts. One part is then to be burned. There's nothing that smells so good as burnt hair. The second part is to be struck with his sword. And the third part is to be scattered to the wind. And so the significance of that or the picture that that is is found in verses 5 through 17 of chapter 5. And this is to predict that one-third of Jerusalem's people will soon die by fire. Another third will die by the sword, and the final third will go into captivity. And so judgment's pretty pretty severe against the nation of Israel. The sixth illustration is found in chapter 6, 1 through 10. The symbol is found in verses 1 through 2. He is to set his face against the mountains of Israel and is to prophesy against them. The significance in... Uh, Chapter three or chapter six, three through ten. So, he's told to go and preach. Okay, so he's done this acting. He's laid on his side. He's laid on his back. He's uh, cooked a meager meal over cow dung. He's cut his hair. He did those things, and now we have uh, this uh, sermon that he's to go and to preach. And uh, in verses three through six of chapter or three through ten in chapter six. This means that those living in the valley below will soon be destroyed by their enemies. Will soon be destroyed by their enemies. Brings us to the seventh illustration. Chapter 6, 11 through 14. You didn't know there was so much stuff here, did you? I didn't either until I started studying. The symbol, verse number 11. He is to clap his hands and stomp his feet. The significance in verse 12 through 14 is... This is done in horror, predicting the disease and death that will await Israel. And so as he has these illustrations he's to do, there's a a, a prophecy that's going to be uh, fulfilled. And so he's to go do this, this is what it represents. He goes to do this, this is what it represents. And back and forth and back and forth. And it's to be known to the people that they might understand what they... Have waiting before them. That brings us to uh, our second point, which is the sermon preached by Ezekiel, chapter 7, 1 through 27. The prophet warns Jerusalem that the terrible day of God's judgment is at hand. Uh, In verses 1 through 4, 19 through 21, and 23 through 24, we read: the sin causing this judgment. The sin causing this judgment, and there's four of them, and they do not differ that much from us today, okay? I could take and preach this Sunday morning, and you would think I'm just preaching, just preaching, okay? The first one is idolatry, verses 1 through 4. Ezekiel calls the people to account of their disgusting behavior because they are worshiping everything but the true and living God but it sounds like the world in which we live today. The majority of our world worships themselves. They worship their thoughts. Their thinking is so disgusting. The second thing is greed. And I think of idolatry. I, I think greed's kind of right in the same pocket. Verses 19 through 21, the love of money makes them stumble into sin. The love of money has been the destruction of many a good man, many a good woman, and many a good family the love and desire to have more and more and more makes them stumble into sin because soon they're doing away with God because they're worshiping their money rather than God. The third thing is bloodshed. Verse 23, the land is bloodied by terrible crimes, terrible wickedness. And I can't help but think of what happens in our country. I was you know, talking to my son Jeremiah was telling me about this young man who had been shot and killed, he said, Dad, in the last six nights in Topeka, five people have been murdered because of drugs. In Topeka, 60 miles away, murdering because of drugs. And I lived in that fair city, and I I enjoyed living there, but I'm telling you, sin is running rampant. And listen, if we think, just because we live in the pretty suburbs down here, they'll never come our way, oh, uh, we need to wake up. Because it will come our way. Bloodshed throughout the land. uh, Bloodied by the terrible crimes. And then the fourth one is pride. Pride. Verse number 24, God will break down their proud fortresses. I can't help but think of our nation today. Probably if I was to point to try to pick out one great sin of our nation, pride would have to be at the very center of it. And God will break down Israel's pride and break them down to nothing. Isn't it amazing that God needs to break his people, to break their will, to break their pride, to break them out of selfishness into a place where they say, I am nothing, I am weak without God, I am nothing without God, I need God in all that I do. Heaven help us if we can keep that attitude as we live here on this earth, that God did not have to come into our life to break us down because of pride, Our self-sufficiency. So that brings us to B, which is the severity of this judgment. In chapter 7, 5 through 18, 22, and 25 through 27, we're going to see the severity of this judgment. The first is a continuous disaster and calamity. Continuous disaster and calamity. They will have terror after terror and calamity after calamity. And no one will be there to guide them. And what a sad, tragic place to be. Second, God's judgment without his pity. His judgment will come upon the nations. His judgment will come in righteousness. And there will be no pity on his part. He will neither spare nor pity them. He will just bring the righteous judgment of God upon them. And the third and final thing tonight is death by plagues inside the city, death by the sword outside the city. So there's going to be plagues inside the city that are going to take people's lives, and there'll be the sword outside the city which will take those who maybe try to escape or get outside. The few who will survive will moan for their sins. I would like to challenge us tonight with this fact, and I think it's good for us to recognize the historical benefit of the book of Ezekiel. And as we talked at the outlay, we're going to be studying about the millennial reign of Christ and the millennial city and all that is involved there. But I think we can draw from this tonight right here that we ought to humble ourselves in the sight of God every day and moan for our sins. We ought to be sorry for our sins. Sin shouldn't be something that lift us up and make us feel good about who we are. And and I'm afraid that a lot of Christians today are just living life and they never take that time alone with God to let God speak to them about, hey, this needs to be dealt with in your life. You cannot continue on this path. This needs to be dealt with. You need to get back to me. You need to walk with me. You need to fellowship with me. And yet many of us continue on going our own way and then God has to do something very tragic to get our attention. Wouldn't it be great if every morning or every evening we would start with this, God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, help me to call them out before you. Help me to confess them. Help me to walk away from them, to not live in them, but help me to seek you afresh and anew every day that I might serve you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophet Ezekiel and this book that we are making our way through. Lord, I know it seems uh, rather quick. We understand the importance of further study and enlightenment that can come by doing that. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us the wisdom, ability, and time to be able to do that, study on our own, to let you, through the Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts to move us into a right relationship with you and then to maintain that right relationship. Help us not be like the nation of Israel at the time of this writing where we're concerned about ourselves and greed and uh, idolatry and, and bloody hands. God, help us to humbly seek to walk with you each day and to serve you with our lives. Thank you for your goodness and your love. I ask these things in your blessed and most holy name. Amen going to have Brother James come with our prayer requests.